This episode contains profanity. Public education in Minnesota is in crisis. St. Paul is in shock tonight after a student was killed in a stabbing at Harding High School. They just kept on beating him and pounding his head up against the desk. Why did the colonists fight the Revolutionary War? No clue. Who is the father of our country? Well, I have no idea. I'm in fifth grade, and there's a lot of girls in our class that are bisexual and that are dating. Cheyenne came home one day and told me, Mom, there's going to be a class on sexting. Only one viewpoint is acceptable, and it's downloaded into kids at school every day. For example, I had a kid tell me to go get fucked. As a parent in this world today, you do not want to be the one saying, hey, I don't think you're disciplining the children of color. That will automatically make you seem like a racist, prejudiced person. There is vandalism at Farmington High School. The bathrooms are not a place that these kids can go. Discipline has changed. Parents don't know this. But the reality is, from a safety perspective, they just have to know that, that these kids are, generally speaking, not being dealt with. I mean, there are a lot of dangerous kids in these schools. Put up the Ku Klux Klan mask, and first day of school, first meeting, and all the white people had to remain quiet for 15 minutes to absorb the guilt of, the, of what the Ku Klux Klan did. Would you never have my child in a public elementary school? And I hate to say that. I, that grieves my heart tremendously. We started this podcast to give parents a look inside public education. We've told you what's happening. In this episode, we're going to tell you ways you can advocate for your kids. I sent him to school where I thought he was safe. It hurts. If you decide public school is not a good fit for your kids, I'll talk about alternatives as well. It's like I'm trapped, like everything's trapped inside me because I can't talk about it. I'm Sheila Qualls. I write for a Minnesota-based news outlet called Alpha News. I've written a series of articles on ideologies, policies, and practices that allow violence, misconduct, and low performance to go unchecked. For the past six months, we've been examining public education. I've interviewed teachers, parents, and students. I've talked to people who study education in Minnesota. I've looked at curriculum and school websites. I've contacted the Department of Education, the Minnesota School Board Association, the Teachers Union, and administrators. I'm going to paint a picture of what is going on in our schools and why. Not in my words, but in the words of teachers, students, and parents who are in or around public schools every day. Thousands of Minnesota families are trapped, held hostage by a system that is shaped by misguided and irresponsible policies and practices that are at odds with traditional values. The threat of losing our children is real. Most teachers and parents spoke with us on the promise of anonymity. Small details have been changed to protect students' identities. They fear retaliation. Dissent is not tolerated. Disagreement is voiced only in whispers. Throughout this series, I'm going to show you everything from why kids can't read to why they have to worry about getting stabbed at school. This is episode five of Trapped, Chaos in the Classroom. What if teachers just started secretly baptizing kids at school and hid it from their parents? What would the reaction be? 
That's different, right? I found this video on Jacqueline Sassy's Instagram account. Teachers aren't baptizing kids, but ideology has become like a religion to educators. That religion is social-emotional learning, and it's in conflict with traditional values. The reality is, these programs are the delivery mechanism for highly politicized ideologies. While social-emotional learning deceives parents, it conditions kids to be disruptors. They no longer work on developing critical thinking skills. Instead, kids learn to focus on feelings with the goal of changing social outcomes. With plummeting test scores, shouldn't administrators be focused on improving academic outcomes, not social ones? Teachers who don't agree are silenced by the fear of losing their jobs. Administrators weaponize labels like homophobic and racist against parents because they have no evidence social-emotional learning works. What if parents realized personal attacks are the only ammunition administrators have to defend their agenda? And what if they stopped allowing those labels to paralyze them and allowed them to motivate them instead? Based on their own experiences, parents think they know what's going on in schools. But do they really? I think parents probably just need to probably not assume they know what's going on in schools. It's probably different from when they were in school. Centennial parents discovered the district was promoting an organization that helps girls acquire free chest binders. St. Paul Public Schools partnered with AmazeWorks, which delivers an LGBTQ agenda under the guise of anti-bias or anti-bullying education. Parents have unearthed books containing sexually graphic content in schools. Parent Michelle Brown discovered a sexually graphic book was being made available to students. This parent is not from Minnesota, but similar books have been found in Minnesota high school libraries across the state. She confronted the local school board and its response ended up proving her point. Here's an excerpt and I'm going to really try to be careful so I don't get kicked out. Excited now, he pushed into her. As she squeezed her eyes as tightly as she could, her tongue circled her lips. He pushed harder, his breath heavy and labored. She scratched his back, and he cried out. She bit his ear and pulled his hair. There's a lot more to it. It's Fifty Shades of Grey and CCSD. Excuse me. Yes. We have children at home. I know live streaming, and, and it's really not appropriate. Don't you find the that. irony in that? You're exactly saying exactly what I'm telling you. Elementary schools host gender resource fairs, which often feature drag queen story hours. Districts are adding ethnic studies programs, which teach kids about white supremacy and oppression. And an Arden Hills elementary school teacher bragged on her TikTok that her goal is for students not to be able to figure out if she's a boy or a girl. One of my coworkers told me that they were talking to some students in the hallway. And they asked, the students asked the other teacher if I'm a boy or a girl. And the teacher was like, does it matter? You know, she's cool. And they were like, no, I just, I just can't figure it out. It's just so hard. I can't figure it out. That's the goal. That's the goal. Some teachers admit to shutting their doors when they teach the U.S. Constitution in a traditional manner. They fear offending someone. 
shut the door. Like sometimes just because I'm like, it's just not worth of like what like other teachers are going to be thinking because they think like, I don't know, it's just crazy. But I did find out my principal and I came out to each other. He's conservative too. I began this series by telling you education in Minnesota is broken. Violence and low academic performance are plaguing public schools. Student safety and learning are being sacrificed on the altar of ideology. Think it's not happening in your kid's school? This is Matt Audette. He's a school board member in Anoka Hennepin, Minnesota's largest school district. What I would say to a parent who says, it's not happening in my school district, I would say you might want to examine very closely. And, you know, I'm hoping through part of what we do, we can help people to see it, um, identify where these issues are. Because I will tell you from my own experience, uh, schools are reluctant to come out and say exactly what's happening, especially to use the kinds of terms that people would, would generally use to identify these things. I am the product of public schools. One of my kids attended public schools. But public schools aren't functioning as they used to. They've blurred the lines between teacher and parent, and schools lack accountability. In the first four episodes, I offered examples of the chaos in our schools. But I also promised I'd offer solutions. If kids aren't safe in public schools, if they aren't learning what they need to know to be successful in life, what are the options? I would just encourage parents to get involved and become much more vocal. So many great parents are doing what they can do every day to you know, get to work, get their bills paid, make sure their children have what they need, you know, send them to school clothed and with a good meal, um, encourage them to do their homework when they come home, and trust that that the teachers and the administrators are going to to do right and give them the best education they can. But all of this influx of, of political social ideology into the schools has become such a distraction to the true job of an educational institution. And parents need to understand that if, if they don't push back and say, we just want education, we don't want you to tell our student how to think, how to feel, how to respond. We want them to know their reading and their writing and math and history and, um, and, and all the core subjects. I'm not anti-public school, anti-public school teacher, or homophobic. And I don't suffer from internalized racism. I'm pro-kid, pro-parent, and pro-family. Parents should decide what is best for their kids. To do that, they need to be informed and realize these issues are not confined to inner-city schools or bad neighborhoods. I'm an educator and I work in District 196. This is Karen. Karen called me because she wanted to tell her story. She said teachers are conflicted. They're terrified of losing their jobs, but feel compelled to speak up because kids aren't safe. So our school is nestled in a very wealthy area of Egan. It's a beautiful, beautiful area of Egan, surrounded by beautiful homes. You would think with some of the behaviors and things that are going on that we were downtown Minneapolis um, with the things that we see on a daily basis. 
in our classrooms and in our hallways. Kids are frequently found wandering in the parking lot. They're exposed to violence, low academic expectations, and social justice indoctrination. Districts use iPads and Chromebooks so kids have access to pornography online. This is happening in a suburban school, in a nice neighborhood. We've just had so many issues, and it all stems down to the fact that the behaviors are so out of control that all of the support people in the building are being pulled for behaviors and aren't able to maintain supervision, aren't able to maintain adequate um, IEP um, terms and conditions. She said 60% of the teachers in her school quit last year, including all but one kindergarten teacher. Karen said kids punch, kick, and spit on teachers on a daily basis. Karen's story is not unusual. We've heard stories from every type of district, large, small, metro, suburban, and greater Minnesota. And they all illustrate how a system that used to be considered one of the best is falling apart. Families all over the state find themselves in the horns of dilemma, asking themselves, is public school the best place for my kids? Many educators aren't focused on the three R's. They're not helping kids to become contributing members of society. Instead, they are laser focused on pushing ideology to change culture. Do they want a population that is semi-literate and easily controlled? Why would educators teach kids the sins of the country without teaching about its virtues? I think we're battling ideology. I think we're battling philosophy. And parents should be evaluating education is what is the philosophy they want their children to learn. Because really, philosophy is everything. Public schools in Minnesota operate as autonomous zones. Administrators believe they are accountable to no one. They intimidate teachers into silence. They trample parental rights. They place restraining orders on parents, preventing them from talking to teachers or other parents. They change students' names and pronouns even when parents object. They may think they answer to no one, but actually they do. They answer to you, parents. You can hold them accountable because you decide where your kids will get their education. Minnesota isn't a school choice state, but parents have a range of options, including open enrollment. Open enrollment allows parents to enroll kids outside of their district if they aren't happy with their local schools. Other options are private, parochial, charter, and homeschooling. I think that's why a number, you know, family members are choosing homeschooling because they're like, we don't want to, it's the work to understand what's happening in the schools, you know, um, or whatever, you know, or trying to find different options for education. Mm -hmm. um, I understand it. More and more families are exercising their options. According to Minnesota Department of Education, public school enrollment has declined for three years in a row. But private and charter school enrollment continues to climb. School funding is directly tied to enrollment in Minnesota. Even a small drop in enrollment can cause major money problems for school districts. I know a lot of parents whose kids are still in public school. Tiffany Taylor pulled her son Brad from District 196. That's the district she attended and graduated from. They shared their story in Episode 3. 
and they know it's bad and they know they're concerned and they don't feel peace but they feel like it's too hard to move them because their kids have friends and it's an adjustment and the sports but like the peace I feel I'm gonna like start crying the peace I feel that he goes to school and I know what he's learning is truth just supersedes any of that Tiffany offered advice for parents making tough decisions and when I think of those things, I kind of laugh, like the things I thought were important are, are not important when it comes to your child. Like your child is so important and getting them raised in the right way and learning the right things is the most important thing you'll ever do as a parent. The school is with your child sometimes more than you are. And even if you think your child's really strong, they're children, they shouldn't have to go and be warriors against this kind of stuff. And when they're hearing it every single day, it's really hard for it not to take root in their brain. Um, and they're hard. And so I would just encourage parents like, yes, it's scary. It's hard to take that that leap and make that change. But like, it's worth it. And your kids are stronger than you know. Alan Hodak is an administrator at Fourth Baptist Christian School in Plymouth. He said they have increased their enrollment by over 100 kids each year for two consecutive years. He said parents are not happy with what their kids are learning in public school. Well, I, I think a lot of it is they're just realizing they're not being taught the things that they were taught. And so the traditional form of education where uh, mathematics and grammar and spelling and history and all of the things that we went through as kids in school, they're listening to what they're being taught and they're, it's just not happening anymore. And so I think they're realizing their kids have holes. They're realizing their kids are falling behind and they don't want that to happen. So they're reaching out and they're going to other places and they're seeing what's out there, what's available, and they're trying to pick and choose schools and programs that more align with their worldview and what they actually believe and what they want for their children. Kids who were A-B students in districts struggle when they transfer to Fourth Baptist. I, I think of one young lady who came in as a freshman uh, this year and she had all A's and B's and she had pretty much the normal classes, titles that we would be giving our, our kids at ninth grade and, and 10th grade. And uh, so she came in and um, she, she had A's and B's, but in our program, she could barely get through. And she, she was behind. Um, and she was behind in reading, she was behind in grammar and writing and math. And yet she had A's and B's in the district she was going through. He said they do a lot of work to help kids catch up. This is something we've had to really evaluate as a, as a school, is how, how do we catch kids up in areas like mathematics where they are behind a grade level or two. And um, we're getting, especially at the older grades, a lot of children who, who are just, they're just behind. They cannot do the math that we are teaching our students in our system. So um, when I say our system, I'm speaking of our private school system. And so if they're coming in at a certain grade level and they have not learned some of the foundational things they need to learn in math, then there are many, many holes and they cannot do our math. And so we are having to find out ways to, to just reteach. He said when looking at schools, parents need to decide what they want their kids to learn. He said kids shouldn't be indoctrinated in philosophies that parents don't agree with. I don't want my kids indoctrinated in a philosophy that my, my wife and I don't believe in. Um, that's our responsibility as parents. And I feel like 
that's being taken away in our culture where uh, uh, an ideology of philosophy, some of the things you mentioned earlier, are, are really being hammered, hammered into our kids. Private schools are an option, but they aren't always immune from the ideology. Gender and race ideologies are popping up in some private schools, too. State Senator Nathan Wiesenberg and his wife Jenny live in Little Falls. They said just because your kid attends a private school doesn't mean all is well. Their kids attend a parochial school. We have three girls and they go to uh, Mary of Lourdes Catholic School in Little Falls and they're in fifth, third, and first grade right now. They're happy with the teachers, but just like many public school families, they're having problems with the administration. The school wanted to bring in an outside theater troupe, the Climb Theater, to come in and teach the kids about anti-bullying. Great. Let's teach the kids not to bully. I think that's absolutely appropriate. However, being the diligent parents that we are, there was a number of us that got together and looked at their website, their Facebook page, and our eyebrows raised a little because of some of the things that we saw on there. She discovered anti-bullying is used to mask teaching gender ideology. When they objected, they got a letter from Father Ben and Jody Vander Hayden, the principal. The mission of Mary Lord's School is to be Christ-centered and dedicated to excellence in education by developing the whole person, integrated, integrating our Catholic faith with daily life. This is the mission that we are entrusted and charged with. Under the guidance of Bishop Donald Kettler, our diocese provides us with support, resources, and direction to help the school to live its Catholic ministry. We value and need parents to partner with us, and Mary of Lord Schools, <clears throat> Mary of Lord School holds to that ex- expectation. We are not a provider of personal services where parents make demands or pick and choose what they feel is appropriate. It is an expectation that our efforts as school leaders are made with good intentions, in good faith, and are well informed. The 2022 parental enrollment agreement must be respected, and if it can't be, then one is encouraged to seek an alternative option or environment for your children. So after we had shown them this climb theater, they basically said, well, if you don't like it, you can leave. The couple decided to share information about climb with other parents. That was on a Saturday at like 6 p.m., and by about 8.30 that night, the principal and priest were like, oh, crap, we have to not let this theater group come. They got an email from the principal the next day. She sent out an email. Oh, we didn't know any of this was happening. Uh, they won't be coming here. This was just brought to our attention. No, we brought it to your attention three weeks ago. And you said, we don't care. And it wasn't until it became more broad that they stopped. And what we were trying to do is show them so we didn't have to do that because that's what they wanted. Communicate. And then they would have said, oh, you're right. But well, they don't care. Senator Wiesenberg said parents and teachers need to start speaking up and administrators need to start listening. We're sort of in this little bubble and we're not welcoming outside opinions. We're not, we say that we welcome diversity of thought, but we really don't, we really don't because if somebody disagrees or if you have somebody, say I'm one of those teachers who who is pushing one of those agendas and I have a conservative parent that comes in, well, that parent is just shut down and ostracized. Not every parent can or will pull their kids from public schools. Katrin Wigfall is a fellow at the Center for the American Experiment and a former teacher. She views the problems with education as both a parent and a professional. 
taught at a public school, but I think it's also important to make options for families as we work to fix uh, a system that's, that's very broken and has been for, for decades. Christine Troyan is a parent of elementary-aged kids. She was unhappy with what her kids were learning in their West Metro School District, so she pulled them and now she homeschools them. But she didn't stop there. She formed Minnesota Parents Alliance, a nonpartisan advocacy group. You know, the most important thing that parents can do is, is know exactly what this is. Review the curriculum, develop a relationship with your student's teacher, figure out if they're the teacher or if they're the activist, figure out what your child's hearing, ask them a million questions, you know, have those conversations with your kids because it's really important. And she also said, get involved. Volunteer in your kid's classroom. Get a better feel for the culture of your kid's school. What kind of posters and flags are displayed? Do they have a policy about pronouns and gender? And check the school library. Look into uh, volunteering in, in your student's school library to see what books are on the shelves. Uh, so there are a lot of ways that parents can get involved at the local grassroots level. Alfreda Baldwin is a retired corporate attorney. She started a private school. She encourages parents to look for clues about how their kids' district and school operate. Well, so here's one thing I encourage parents to do. Go out to your school's websites and, uh, or the school you're thinking of sending your child to and just dig. I mean, if you have any concerns about any of this stuff, just try to go and, and dig. And um, you might have to use the search function on the website and just search you know, search for equity, search for um, gender um, so that you can see whether or not your school district has any policies, made any statements about any of this stuff. And then you, if, if you find stuff, you have to evaluate whether it matches your family's values. They make it hard to find. They make it hard to find. Understand the difference between a practice and a policy. Your kid's school may not have a written policy that allows transgender kids to socially transition at school without parents' knowledge, but they may have an unwritten practice of doing so. Social-emotional learning, culturally responsive teaching, anti-bullying, anti-bias education all sound good. But what do these concepts mean in practice? And I remember being at this meeting and they said that that whole... Um, all of the teaching around bullying was really being driven at the top by the gay, lesbian, the LGBTQ. That, that was the driving force behind it. Beth teaches in a metro school. She found out the hard way. And I remember, you know, I heard what they were saying, but I struggled I, you couldn't imagine that that would be then used because who's who's not against bullying, but that it would really attack them. You know, it's it's really ideology. You know, if you simply hold to a differing viewpoint, now it's become, you know, you're hateful. Your people don't feel safe. You're a threat. You're because I happen to think differently. You have a right to be in your kid's classroom and know what's being taught. So spend time in your kid's classroom when you can and talk to your kid. Ask questions of their kids. Yes, with everything on the iPad, you know, ask to see it. 
Um, but I do think it, you know, the encouragement is to start those relationships young where there's a conversation, you know, so that they, you have that relationship with your kids. Opt your kids out of any material that isn't consistent with your family's values. If I had to do it again, you know, I would be a lot more proactive in understanding what was going on. And again, that first realization came um, primarily as a parent um, when I found out what had been presented to one of my children in a health class and I wasn't aware of it and hadn't been given the opportunity to opt out of it. Um, and what was presented was diametrically opposed to everything that I was seeking to teach in the home. Um, so that was the first um, eye-opener to me. And most importantly, request to review curriculum. The number one thing I think we have to do is they have to understand what this is. And I think that's a big piece of what we're talking about here is really truly understand when they're using terms social emotional learning, what does that mean? And the first way that you can figure that out is by requesting curriculum. Request the curriculum. Find out what the social emotional learning program is in your district and ask for that material and look it over carefully. Go to the program's website. Do as much research as you can. And I know this takes time and parents are spread thin. It is an onerous process, but it is worth it because I think that what is, you know, more time consuming is to have, you know, young adults going out into the world who are completely not able to be critical thinkers and independent humans. Attend school board meetings. You may be able to find out policies your board is considering. Speaking up at school board meetings doesn't always mean you'll see change. We've seen examples where it did. I think nationally, I think I have seen examples where it did. Um, I've certainly seen examples in my own district where it does not. And as a person who sits on the board, I can, I can see and understand that. Um, I have not yet seen an interaction at a school board meeting where, as a result of the parents being there, um, something specific changed that. It certainly didn't change that day. Audette said, the only way you will bring about change is to change the board. You can run for school board or support candidates who better reflect your values. I never felt motivated myself to get involved in anything, but I guess when it started to impact my children, um, which, which was, you know, like any parent, that was something that I just couldn't take. And um, that's what led me into, into it ultimately is deciding to do it. And then um, as I started considering it, that's just like every parent. It's like the story you hear from every parent or every, of everybody about this. As parents, myself included, started to look into what was happening in their schools, um, we found things that we weren't aware of that were happening that we also didn't like. Um, things, you know, a lot of people call it CRT and some of these things, the schools call it equity. Um, and um, then some of these other practices that are kind of connected to that, that are having an impact on a lot of different things in the environment of schools. And, um, and so that's probably what, you know, was the final thing that kept me deciding to stay, you know, stay with the election or campaign to be elected. School board races are supposed to be nonpartisan, but Education Minnesota, the state's teachers union, has money, influence, and an agenda. They work to get their preferred candidates on school boards around the state. So let me just say, first of all, people 
I see, you know, online people post and read articles and everything that, well, the teachers' union's not for the students. Well, they, they really aren't. Lynn has taught in metro schools for 25 years. I mean, let's be honest about the fact that the job of the union is to negotiate the teacher's contract and make sure that they have a good health care plan and they have the support they need and make sure that good teachers are hired and retained. And by that, you're indirectly supporting the students. But their job is not to decide curriculum and their job is not to make sure that um, certain programs get into the schools. That's the job of the school board and the superintendent. But I think that it's gotten out of control. Um, like I said, you know, my, my experience in my 20s was, well, we're only supporting the Democratic ticket. Well, okay, first of all, that's a problem. Second of all, why are you supporting any ticket? Um, locally, I know that there are some school districts who um, they're not allowed, like the school boards aren't allowed to endorse a union candidate. Or, you know, the union, I'm sorry, is not allowed to endorse a school board candidate. And I think that's a good thing because the number one job of a school board is to do what? ratify the teacher contract, right? So right there, it's a big conflict of interest, I think. But more often than not, you have teachers' unions saying, this is the school board member that we're backing, and we're going to throw money and resources and door knockers and all kinds of things at this candidate. And not only do they do that, Minnesota um, Federation of Teachers goes to the local um, union meetings and says, these are the candidates we're endorsing, this is who you vote for, when that might not actually be the best candidate. So you have these school boards in some districts that are really bought and paid for by the union, and and that's not the role of the union. They, They shouldn't have a direct voice in endorsing candidates. She said unions have gotten too political. And really, they're a political pack is what they are, and they're not shy about that. And so... Like I said, while, while I was happy to have a union um, for some things, was, I was very fortunate, some of the benefits I got from that. I, I think that it's become a, a big political machine, and I think that we should have a rule in the whole entire state that says you school board candidates should not be endorsed by unions because they're basically seating people. And then when it comes time to ratify the teacher's contract or do other things uh, negotiating with the union, then the, the union can say, we, we put you there. Remember that money we contributed to your campaign? Remember all that help we gave you? You owe us. So it's, it's nice that there are some districts that don't allow that endorsement, but the majority do, unfortunately. So. so what does the future look like for public schools? Our schools are going to be in turmoil until such time as somebody either prevails in which case, if one side prevails against the other, the other side is going to do what you're seeing. They're going to pull out of the schools. If, if very many people pull out of the schools, it could lead to the collapse of our public school system. I don't think anybody thinks that's a good thing, but that's, that's the only result. I mean, either, either people have to accept it, and there's a large portion of people who will not, or they're going to have to leave it. So if either side prevails, you're in that scenario. And so for the good of the system, if it's going to prevail, you got to get back to the way things always were. You know, there's a reason people say schools aren't political and they shouldn't be political. Schools are political. There's a reason people think that they shouldn't. That's because the people that came before us knew and understood that. And, and they always had political differences, but they came together and they said, well, in our public schools, to be decent to all, we can't do that. That's been lost someplace. And that's why our schools are sick. And it won't change until we find that balance again in my opinion.
Baldwin said, don't think your kids are safe just because you've pulled them out of public school. Everyone needs to be brave. Kids who attend public schools will impact every segment of society. People have to be brave. This is no time to be afraid. If you care about kids, if you're a parent or a grandparent, aunt, uncle, just even a person with no kids but concerned about uh, about our country, um, you need to educate yourself and then you need to be courageous. Courage is contagious. This is not the time to sit on the sidelines. Your kids are counting on you. There's an education omnibus bill that has the ethnic studies. It has the, the suspend, removing all suspensions in there. It has removing testing from teachers um, because they specifically said in the hearing that I was at that teachers of color can't pass the test, so we're going to get rid of the test because we want more teachers of color. The suspensions, they said the same thing. Kids of color get suspended more. We can't have suspensions. Instead of instead of looking at the reason, why can't the teachers pass the licensing test? Maybe it's because they never learned to read and write in Minnesota schools. Maybe that's why they can't pass the test. And now you want them to teach other people? No, maybe you should start teaching kids what they need to learn and then they can pass the professional exam. My name is Sheila Qualls and you are listening to Trapped Chaos in the Classroom. If you know of chaos in a classroom, email me at sheila at alphanews.org or email tips at alphanews.org. Trapped is a podcast from Alpha News. It's reported by me and produced by Kendall Johnson of Underdog Films. Editing by Karen Sullivan. Fact-checking by Anthony Kokowski and Greg Pullis. Our theme music is by Kendall Johnson. We hope you've enjoyed listening. You can find all five episodes on our website. This podcast is available on Apple, Spotify, Amazon, and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. 